0: This is awesome. Excellent. It actually is. Good. It's good to be here this morning. I'm glad you're here. This morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. Imagine that. We've been doing that for several weeks, haven't we? You know, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago, I was actually out working with a weed eater. Okay. A weed eater, line trimmer, weed whacker, whatever you want to call them. And I was thinking about this, I was looking at it and thinking, this is really a mixed blessing. Because it gets those places where you can't mow. You can't get a mower in there. But my goodness, I mean, sometimes there's just so much trouble when you have to put the line in them. and, And you'll be 100 yards from where your spare line is. And it's hot. And you walk back to it. And you put the line in. You walk back. And the same thing happens again. And it doesn't make any difference how good the weed eater is. It just happens. And that's okay. And then I got to thinking about, you know, Lord, um, If I didn't have the weed eater, how, what would I be doing? You know, And I'd probably be down on my knees pulling grass, you know, out from... Or you'd have these little funny clipper things, you know, that, that never seemed to work right. But the main thing that people used before this was a hoe, H-O-E. Okay? And if you've ever used a hoe, you know that they are a blessing and a curse. I'm not kidding you. Because, well, well let me tell you, I've only shared with one congregation before this morning... And this was about 13 years ago in 2009. I shared this, but but I really got an epiphany on how the hoe, H-O-E, got its name. I imagine these guys who are out working in a field and so said, what is that you got there? Well, I, I don't know. Well, but so they all got one, and they, they started working in the field. And as they're working, bent over like this. One of them says, what do you think we ought to call this? Some guy says, well, how about a Vegematic? And they go, no, no, that's not it. Another guy says, how about a Dinglehopper? No, it's not a Dinglehopper. That's too long. Who'd want to say, let's go Dinglehopper, the, you know. So they didn't do that. And then all of a sudden, after they'd worked out here for a while, they started to stand up, and everyone one of them went, ho! And I, I really think that's how the ho got its name. I even think I know how the E got on the end of it because the E is absolutely useless. So if you take the E off, it still says, ho, oh, right? Okay. And that's because if you've been doing this extra long and you stand up, you'll go, "Ho, oh, and, and And it puts the E right on the end of that word. When I thought about that, I thought, man, this weed eater is not a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing, and I'm glad I've got it. I'm thankful to have that, and I can reap the benefits of having this lovely thing. Now, as far as our national heritage goes, there are people who believe that it's a blessing and a curse. Well, if you start looking around at different countries, I, I think you'll find that, no, that's, that's not a curse. This is a fantastic blessing, the heritage that we have. And the proper response to the heritage that we have in our nation is thanksgiving and to be a superb citizen. That is, to, to, to do our best to further the liberty that we have attained. Now, in the book of Ephesians, we spent the last few weeks discussing these benefits of salvation and how we should respond wisely to God's grace. The first response to God's grace is, hey, I realize that I'm a sinner. You know, I have sinned. And the penalty for that sin is death, and I can do nothing about that. I mean, it's a horrendous dilemma. I cannot do that. I am bound to die and be separated from God eternally. God extended His grace to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose again with victory over sin and death with a promise to us of eternal life. He rose. We're going to rise. He has the power to do that. We see that, and we know that, and so we respond to that by saying, Yes, I'm turning from anything else I ever believed in. I am turning to You, Lord. I am placing my faith in you. And that is the number one wise response you can have to the grace of God. Here in the book of Ephesians, Paul is showing us another wise response, a continuation basically of that to God's grace. Let's read together. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, before we continue, there are three concepts I want us to talk about. First is love. In the book of Ephesians, every time the word love appears, it is the word agape. Agape, simply defined, is a spirit of self-sacrifice that results in action. It is that. Love that seeks the highest good for others. Now I've got a picture here of somebody you're probably going to recognize, Scott Drew. Because I think of this when I think of joy, J-O-Y. As little children, many of us were taught, Jesus, others, than you. That's a good example of agape. That's a good example of the love that's talked about in the book of Ephesians. As you know, during March Madness, year before last, uh, when the Baylor Bears went on to win the championship during this time. There were several games leading up to that, of course. And they would interview Scott Drew. And instead of saying, uh, all glory to God who helped us win this game, any of that sort of thing, God likes our team best. None of that. He talks about, hey, I ta- I, we have an atmosphere of joy down there where we put Jesus first, we put others next, and ourselves last. If you've got a superstar on the team and he thinks he can make the shot from full court, No. Pass the ball to someone else. Put someone else into the game. Give that up for the team. And that's exactly what joy is about. That's what agape love is about, seeking the highest good for others. Now, what's cool about that is not only did he say that on national TV, but the next year when it looked like Baylor was going to run away with it again for a few weeks there, commentators across the nation to the nation we're talking about Scott Drew and that atmosphere of joy down in Waco. And that is so cool because as, as teeny and insignificant as that may seem to you, that message was going out to millions of people. How cool is that? I can really appreciate that. The second concept I want to talk about is the word saints. And our pastor did a great job a few weeks ago of describing this. There are denominations who decide that someone has worked really hard and done this sacrificial thing, so they call them a saint. The book of Ephesians was written before then, and he talks about saints. Let me tell you what a saint is. A saint is a believer in Christ Jesus, one who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not somebody in New Orleans. It is not somebody who died a couple of hundred years ago. I have a former pastor that I love. His name is Lee Carpenter, and Lee Carpenter put it like this. you got two kinds of people in the world, the saints and and the aints, Okay. (laughs) either you have salvation, either you are a saint, or you are not. It's just that simple. That doesn't mean that it's some kind of exclusive club. It's just the opposite. It's an inclusive club. We want everyone to become saints. Right? So I just want to clarify that. We've clarified love, and we've clarified saints. Now, when Paul is talking in this passage, he's talking to the church at Ephesus, and really it's intended to be a letter that goes everywhere, and it has. That's really good. But when he's talking about this, he mentions that the He wanted those, uh, he he talks about praying for them, being thankful for them, but earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, 5 years earlier, he had written this book, and in there, in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ, okay? That takes intestinal fortitude to say, hey, look at me, (laughs) do what I do, okay? That can be pretty scary. I appreciate Paul saying that. The reason I'm telling you this is because if he said that, then what he does in the passage we have today is something that we should imitate. I hope that makes sense to you. Now, we are, of course, to be thankful. Um, The first thing that Paul does is he thanks God for the Ephesian believers. We are to be thankful constantly for other believers. I want to give you a little story about Hetty Green. If you've ever studied finance, the history of finance, and all this sort of thing, you probably know the name Hetty Green. She was known by the lovely moniker, The Witch of Wall Street. Now you can tell here, this was a long time ago, 1834 to 1916. By the way, that 1916, she passed away on July 3rd, 1916, okay, that's, which is today's date, in case you, you're just now joining us. Um, Anyway, that has no significance on anything. I just thought it was kind of interesting that it should fall here, and I think it's a God thing that I thought of Hetty Green. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Hetty Green, if if you calculated her wealth at the time, and you brought it up to date in today's world, it'd be about five billion dollars. Okay, now this is someone I'm talking a long time ago. Five billion bucks. All right, <clears throat> you would think, man, she had to really enjoy that money. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I brought my voice with me. Okay. Um, Hedy Green was known for being a cheapskate. As a matter of fact, she once searched a carriage all night looking for a two-cent stamp. A two-cent stamp. Okay? You think, well, somebody who's a billionaire have, have, could make better use of their time. Another time, she told her laundress. By the way, that's somebody who does your laundry. I didn't know there was such a thing. But uh, she said... I want you not to use so much soap on my clothes. I want you to just wash the dirty parts. I don't know. Now, what's what's really scary about that is that Hetty Green always wore the same dress. Not the same kind of dress, the same dress. The same undergarments. And she doesn't want soap used on much of them. So, I'm telling you, she didn't know how to appreciate the money that she had. At another time, her son, Ned, was injured, and he lost the limb that was injured. He lost it because his mother was spent spent too much time looking for somebody who would treat him for free okay now I'm just saying that because I do believe she had a little trouble appreciating what she had been given, what she had, okay I mean, she earned it, apparently. She was born into wealth, but then she developed this into something huge. But I'm just saying, you can have all the wealth in the world. If you don't appreciate it, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. So in Ephesians, we are told, yes, to thank God. We're told to thank God for other believers. Paul says, I thank God for you. Why does he thank them? He thanks them, if we could have another slide here. He thanks them because they're valuable to God. He says that right here. He's thanking him because when he starts this passage, he says, for this reason. This reason is verses 4 through uh, 14, 3 through 14, excuse me, of the passage, which leads into our verses 15 through 17. He valued them so highly because of the blessings that he had received in Christ and because of the blessings they received in Christ. He realized these people are valuable to God. I'm thanking God for these people. Now we as believers should look at other believers that way and we should be thanking God for one another. Another reason he thanked God for them is because of their behavior. If we could have the next slide. He he tells us, um, I, I, I thank my God for you. I do these things when I remember you in my prayers. And he does this because of their faith. Isn't that interesting? They're down among you faith. Their upright behavior, which is faith. Part of it is faith. Now, of course, you say, well, yeah, they're believers, so they place their faith in God. Yeah, of course, they place their faith in the Lord. But it's also that day-to-day faith. Not only, I said also, but here when he's talking here, this is absolutely what that, is mean, that means. As a matter of fact... It is a down-among-you faith. It is that faith that's down here with us and we're, you know, horizontal and vertical. We have our faith in God to live out the life that the Lord wants us to live out. So he is thanking them, thanking God for their behavior as well. He thanks them for their position and their behavior. Next, this faith is actually an evidence. As uh, as a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says... That faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or evidence of things not seen. Oh, thank you very much. That's really good. I appreciate you. That's Saint Steve, by the way. (laughs) We're also to love the saints. He thanks them for their love for the saints. We're not talking about the New Orleans saints again. We're talking about one another. He thanks them for their love for all the saints. And we already know who those people are. Why does he do that? Because a proper relationship with God will lead to a proper relationship with one another. And I want you to know something else. A proper relationship with one another reflects a proper relationship with God. And so if that's true, what else is true? An improper relationship with one another is going to reflect an improper relationship with God. We need to be careful what we think and how we behave toward one another. The Apostle John recorded the words of Jesus Christ in John 13, 30, 30 through 35. We're going to look at just verse 35. And he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, what is that love? It is that spirit of self-sacrifice resulting in action. It's not about me. It's about you. Always, 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 Jesus, others, me. So that's what love is. And you know what? You know that faith we talked about it just a minute ago? That this, this passage is designed in such a way that the love comes from that faith. Because it takes faith to love someone. You know, if you love someone, you're investing in them, aren't you? And it's like, hey, I've got the promises of God standing behind this so I can, I can reach out and I can, I can love you. And there are some of us who it really takes a lot of faith for someone to love us, you know? Someone to say, hey, this is going to work out good? Yeah, right, I know this guy. It takes faith to love, and we have to admit that. We have to understand that. But those two things go hand in hand, those two concepts. Now, we may view other believers as co-workers. That's good. We may view them as reinforcements in the in a spiritual battle. That's so good. If you've ever been in any kind of conflict or in any kind of combat, then you know reinforcements can be very, very important, and you're thankful they're there, believe me. We can view people as, our fellow believers in Christ as reinforcements. We can re- view them, certainly we need to view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but we can never view a brother and sister in Christ, a saint, a believer in Christ, as a competitor. Never. Why don't you take a look at this next slide. And when you see it, you're going to go, what in the world does that have to do with the price of tea in China? But it's a slide talking about where Peter and John are together. And it says simply this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And out of context, that means very little to us, doesn't it? But let me take you back. Between the time that Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended, remember he had a picnic by the sea with some of his disciples. He challenged Peter. He said, Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter is annoyed. And he's bending, trying to bend, bend to the Lord's will. I'm going to go right through that speaker here in a moment, and you're going to say, you know, is he trying to break into show business? No, it's a stage he's going through. But anyway, um, <coughs> Where was I? The the Apostle Peter had apparently had some tension with the Apostle John. And he points over and he says, Lord, what about that guy? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You do what I want you to do. If I want him to live until I come back, that's okay. What's that got to do with you? You do what you're supposed to do. There can't be competition among believers. We're supposed to love one another and put one another first. Okay? Next, we're to pray for believers. You know, uh, in Second Peter, First Peter two verse nine, and in Revelation one six, we are told that we are a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Priests intercede. I mean, what to intercede is to speak on the behalf of someone. We are supposed to speak to God on that behalf of each other, whether it's because somebody is sick. Because we know of some struggle we're going through. Even if we don't, it's okay to launch up a prayer to God and say, Lord, I want you to bless my brothers and sisters at fellowship today. That's perfectly all right. You know, we worry about how we pray. You know, we feel like we've got to pray all down through the Milky Way and then, you know, finally get to where we can, we can, we can pray uh, and, and maybe talk to the Lord. We try to impress people with our prayers, and that's not what this kind of prayer is talking about at all. It's Okay. Just be open and honest with the Lord, and speak. He can take it. And we need to be praying for one another. The Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian uh, believers there, uh, and when he did this, he did this for the same reason that he thanked God for them. If we can have a slide here, he did tell us, "Do not." He he did not cease giving thanks. Uh, he told us that we should pray without ceasing in First Thessalonians. But there's a flip side to that. I want you to know, yeah, we're commanded to pray. We're pr- commanded to pray for one another. We're commanded to pray without ceasing. That, Like that hacking cough type prayer. You know, it is our first response. Not ourselves. It is our first response. Not our own power, but in the power of God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The flip side of that would be in Romans chapter 1. Now, in Romans chapter 1, Paul is showing the believers in Rome. He's saying, I'm, I'm giving a case for what God is doing. He says, we have sin. And he talks about sin. He talks about salvation. And he talks about the wrath of God. And in there, in, verse, in these verses before you, you see something I want you to really notice here. For even though they knew God, he's talking about all those people who knew God before. Think about it. When the ark landed on Mount Ararat, there were eight people left on the earth, and every one of them knew God. They knew his power. They had seen him at work. And what happened? Society just slid and slid and slid and slid. And today we got, boy, no moral compass out there outside of the body of Christ. And you go, wow, how could it get this way? Well, look what this says. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or what? Give thanks. I mean, thanks is a lot more important than we think. I mean, it's not just a matter of sitting down and, and saying a poem before a meal. It's an attitude of giving thanks. Do You see, the slippery slope of all humanity began because people were not thankful I can't drive that home enough. It's not just a matter of being thankful for some things, but we are to be truly thankful to God. There are huge consequences to not being thankful for the heritage that God has given us. Huge consequences. the reason that Paul prayed for other believers again, he prayed for them for the same reason he thanked God for them because of their position in Christ he said man, if God values you this much man, I'm praying for you that's the way we need to see each other God values you, I'm going to pray for you he also prayed again, he prayed for them because of their upright behavior, you know Faith and love are evidence of faith in God, like I mentioned before. These are evidence of that. So he sees their behavior and he says, hey, these people are ready to learn. So what does he pray for them? He prays for a spirit of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is, I mean, it's, it's, it's the skillful application of knowledge, basically, and experience so we can act wisely. As I mentioned, we want to respond wisely. It takes time to cultivate wisdom. It takes time to cultivate faith. Hopefully they're not using a hoe. It takes time to cultivate love. The Apostle Paul's last time praying that you have this wisdom. Now, we can pray that prayer. We can pray it like this. We get it in a discussion with another believer and we say, I'm praying that God gives you the wisdom to see this the way I do. That's not what we're talking about here. Or maybe the knowledge that, that you can see. So, man, you'll be as righteous as I am. He also prays for the revelation of the knowledge of God. This is more than an abstract knowledge of God. It's more than objective facts. And we know some objective facts about God. He's eternal. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's loved. He is light. And we can go on and on with the attributes of God and I'm so thankful for those and I'm thankful that we know those but here he's talking about I want you the people of Ephesus and even looking into the future, the people of Fellowship Bible Church I want you to experience relationship with God, an intimate relationship with Him that is based on faith and Love. That's what he is praying for the Ephesian believers. That's what he's praying for us. I wonder how important we consider prayer. How about day to day? In your job? At school? I mean, I know it's easy. uh, You get there and in desperation. Oh, Lord, I didn't study, but help me pass this test. You know? That's not it. How about praying for it? As you build up to that and realizing whatever I'm going to accomplish is going to be through the power of God. It's not me doing this. Now, I've got to tell you, if you're a student out there, really study, okay? Because, um, I mean, you might make that on the power of God, but he wants you to be prepared. I am my former job as a Dallas police officer, let me tell you. I did a lot of praying in that job. I've been trained very well, and uh, I believe I responded very well. When I, you'd get a call to go on some violent thing, even if it wasn't violent, whatever it was, I'd be saying, God, just help me to draw on my training. Lord, help me to use just the right amount of force. Lord, help me not to have to use force. Lord, help me to say the right things to comfort these people, to help them, and to resolve this crisis, whatever it is. And I did that every time I went on a call. Sometimes I'd be doing that in the middle where you're about to have to put hands on somebody, and I'm praying, not out loud, I don't think, maybe. I'd be praying, Lord... Help me in this, you know. Not in desperation, but just because I'm relying on his power. And I say that, I don't mean that in a haughty way. I say at the moment I was relying on him. And we need to rely on the Lord for these things. Howard Hendricks, professor at Dallas Seminary. Fantastic professor. Everybody loved Howard Hendricks. If you met him, he was very witty. He was just beloved. We called him Prof course there's a jillion professors at Dallas Theological Seminary but he was known as prof he was very dear to everybody he says this he says it is more important to talk to God about men than it is to talk to men about God you might look at that and say wait a minute had he never heard of the Great Commission well of course he had he didn't say you shouldn't talk to men about God but it's more important that you talk to God about men now that's true in an evangelistic situation where you're sharing the gospel with someone or where you're preparing some, uh, to share the gospel with someone, maybe it's someone you've known for years, you've been praying for them for years, of course. To do anything else is to neglect the power of God. I can't imagine approaching someone, you may not have the opportunity to pray for them for years, but before you go into that, man, Lord, here I am, I'm praying as I'm walking, I'm praying as I'm talking. Lord, this is You at work here, not me. I don't have the power to save anyone. I don't have the power to convict anyone. But you told me to share my faith, and that's what I'm going to do. The same thing applies for other believers. We are to be praying for other believers. We'll be thankful for them and pray and thank God for them. Remember I talked about the Apostle John just a few minutes ago. And if if you know anything much about the Apostle John, you know that he referred to himself as... The apostle whom Jesus, you tell me. Yes, he's the apostle whom Jesus loved. He didn't do that because he thought Jesus loved him more than anybody else. He did that because he just got never got over the idea, Jesus loves me. He appreciated that heritage. He appreciated that relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's thinking, I am the apostle that Jesus loves. And when it came time to make a distinction between him and John the Baptist in his writings, he's going, I'll call him John. I am the apostle that Jesus loved. He loved the other John just as much. But he wanted, he just, that was his identity. How cool was that? If you look in the other writings, the other gospel writers, they didn't say, there's John, the apostle Jesus loved. Uh, No, they didn't say that. Of course not. Because they were the disciples Jesus loved too. Here's news for you. Hello, you are the disciples that Jesus loves. Do you really understand that? What implication does that have for our lives? I'll tell you what, it makes me value myself a little more. Not in a haughty way. I mean, just because, hey, I'm worth something. I'm worth something solely because Jesus loves me. Now, as I look at you, I think, whoa, there's Josh, the disciple that Jesus loves. I want you to know. If I didn't already admire him so much, when I think about that, boy, that changes how I think about him. His value just soars, i tell you, because Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid this huge price. God extended all this grace that we saw earlier and that we've talked about for several weeks now through the first part of the book of Ephesians. God loves Jonathan. He's a disciple that Jesus loves. Leah is a disciple that Jesus loves. And it changes our perspective of other believers when we can view one another and say, whoa, look at the value that God has on this other believer. I think maybe I better value them too. I am going to be thanking God for them. I am going to be praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ. There are many, many personal applications, and I hope they're coming to you right now. I've shared a few. There are many, many personal applications for what God's brought us today. And I pray that you'll spend time deliberating about that and praying, going before the Lord, saying, God, make your word alive in me today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ and ask your blessing over each and every one of them. Lord, there's so many needs, so many hurts, but you are the one with the power You're the one with the power to save. You're the one with the power to heal. The one with the power to guide, to direct us in our growth. Lord, I pray that we would seek an intimate relationship with you, not just head knowledge, but Lord, that we would want to know you as our loving God and that we would respond to your grace in sharing you with other people, not just in our attitude, certainly with that, but also, Lord, with our behavior. And I ask that you use us And I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What a great reminder that was to be thankful.